0: All right, welcome to episode number two of the Record Room Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Tills, and yeah, wow, thanks for everyone sending in your feedback, your insights, comments on the launch in episode number one with Rosie Mangiarati. It was really great just hearing from, from all my friends and family and all those who listened. I actually had a lot of people send in um Introductions to other athlete entrepreneurs, so uh, I'm kind of seeing the ball starting to roll here, which which is exciting for me. Um, and I thought that that inv- that conversation with Rosie uh, went really well and, and and was really cool. She uh, she's a fantastic human being and, and is obviously going to be incredibly successful moving forward. So excited to see what comes from from uh, her pursuits at Perky's. Uh, with that. This podcast is sponsored by Red Truck Beef Jerky. Go to redtruckbeefjerky.com and use promo code RECORDROOM15, all caps, to get 15% off their four-pack. It's, it's fire. I think everyone would love it. Uh, I know my ad read last time was a little long, so I'll just leave it at that, and I think I even plug it in the interview right away with, with Greta. Speaking of, this episode, we interviewed Greta Meyer, who is a co-founder and I believe CEO of Sequel, which is a femtech brand uh, that is revolutionizing the way that tampons are made and, and used. So we're covering female anatomy right off the bat with sticky bras and tampons. So it's certainly an interesting start, but man, I learned so much from Greta. She She's an incredible um, human being, incredible person. I actually got to hang out with her in a very socially distanced way recently and got to know her personally. So... Excited to share what we what we talk about uh, on this week's episode. We we dive into her time at Stanford She played lacrosse there um, Got into where her inspiration came from and what resources she used to uh, Begin the process of, of launching her company. It sounds like they will be launching later this year um, And if you want to sign up on their um, waitlist, you can email that's try that's T R Y dot and follow them on socials at TriSQL. whether that's uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, she's great. Greta's awesome. I think you guys are going to be really interested in what she had to say and make sure that you follow her on those uh, social platforms uh, to keep up with, with everything they're doing. So with that, let's kick it over to Greta. Boom. All right. Welcome everyone to episode number two. We've got Greta Meyer, CEO and co-founder of Sequel with us. Greta, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing?
0: I'm hanging in there. Just uh, getting through this, this COVID stuff. Where, uh, where are you based out of?
1: So I'm usually in San Francisco. I'm actually in Los Angeles right now. I'm taking advantage of the work from home life. Um, and yeah, it's very nice weather down here right now.
0: That's great. LA, yeah, I'm, I might be heading down in a bit as well. It's, it's not too bad up here in San Francisco. So you're not, you're not stepping away from from the terrible smoke like we had this summer. Um, but Great. So Greta, first question. Well, I guess this is the second cause I asked you where you live. But do you like beef jerky?
1: I love beef jerky. It's a uh, it's, uh, necessary for any road trip and any hike. It's a, it's a great snack.
0: Awesome. No, I'm glad you said that because this podcast is sponsored by Red Truck Beef Jerky. Go to redtruckbeefjerky.com, buy a four-pack, use promo code Room 15 to get 15% off. Greta, I will be sending you a four-pack. They've got, um, it's all made in America, which is kind of cool. I guess that's unique to beef jerky companies and uh, they have partnerships with McCormick. So if you like Old Bay or like Stubbs Barbecue Sauce or Montreal Steak, they got it all. So I will be sending you that as a thank you gift. And thanks for letting me get my plug in there. Um, And now we can kind of really dive into you and what you're doing. So I mentioned in my intro a little bit about SQL and yourself, but maybe you could just start out and give us a little background about um, your job, your role, and and what SQL is as a company.
1: Yeah. So we are a femtech company, as some call it. Um, We're working on engineering products that have been long ignored and are kind of flagship product is this new engineered tampon. Um, when we look at the market, we see a lot of the very same tampons just being rebranded, remarketed. Um, and what we really did is look at what tampon, how tampons were made, why they were failing prematurely. Um, we found that 70% of women who use tampons um, use some sort of a backup method. So meaning a pad, period underwear, a liner, And we also found this pervasive kind of distraction and anxiety that was happening when people were wearing tampons because of this prevalence of premature leakage. So what we've done is essentially create a more efficiently absorbing tampon um, and making it more predictable and comfortable for use.
0: That's great. No. And, and, you know, obviously being a man, I don't have much experience with, with tampons um, like literally none. So, uh, my did a little research. Definitely sounds like there hasn't been kind of to your point, any innovation in really like the traditional tampons. So I'm curious to know, like what, what makes you, know, you mentioned it's a little bit more absor- absorbent, excuse me. Uh, but yeah, what, what kind of R and D did you guys do when you were thinking about rebuilding the product?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And so, I mean, the tampon, a little history, it was created in the 1930s and hasn't really changed much. There's been a couple innovations in terms of material, but in terms of the actual form factor, it's been very, very similar. And when I talk about premature leakage, what we found from the engineering side of it and looking at the fluid mechanics of it is there are these linear channels that basically run from the top to the bottom. And what was happening while those were helping the expansion of the product, they were actually also effectively funneling the fluid away from the absorbent, fibers in the tampon. And so what our technology does, it's very simple, just redirects it into a helical flow path. And what that does is slows it down and gives the fibers more time to absorb. So it's a purely mechanical change, not chemical, which preserves the safety that um, is present in tampons right now and makes it, like I said, just more efficient, slows it down so that it's not rushing past the tampon and not able to absorb. And what we did is a couple, we essentially started out testing in Stanford biodesign and did a lot of tests on our own with fluid mechanics professors and chemists. And what we did then is worked with a couple external firms with experience with these types of fibers and made sure that our manufacturing processes were going to be integratable into existing tampon lines and that was really important for us to make sure that we didn't have to come up with an, a completely new way to manufacture tampons just from a cost and development standpoint. Um, and now we're, we're producing, we're also producing 100% in the US and that's very exciting and that is, that's been kind of our biggest achievement this year I would say.
0: Well, congrats! No, that's that's great. Love American companies. Um, got a flag on my wall. And um, before, I, I mean, you touched on a lot there, and that was very informative. And I'm, I, I'll pry into that later. But before we kind of get into your business and kind of how you built this this company, maybe let's start with Stanford. And you mentioned that you used some of the resources there. But I guess when did you realize you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Was that something you had as a kid, or did that come to you while you were in college?
1: Yeah, it definitely was. It's, it's a presence that's at Stanford, and we're in Silicon Valley, and there's startups, and I was in the product design department, which is a mix between mechanical engineering and this kind of design thinking methodology, and a lot of the case studies that we look at in terms of different companies that have implemented design thinking are newer companies, um, and there's a wonderful master's program called Design Impact that we're really close with, and that was definitely a huge resource for us. Those professors are excellent mentors and um, advisors to us at SQL now. Um, but I would say it was, while it was always there, I never thought that this would be my thing coming out of college. I was really interested in product management um, and development. And a lot of those skills definitely overlap into what I do day to day right now. But um, I did, I worked for a couple of startups just throughout the years, Um, but it really kind of, it kind of surprised me, I have to be honest. It was never, I think some people are, have their hearts set on, I'm starting a company, I'm doing this. But I think for me, it is really important to not force that. And so we were were almost hesitant to jump off the proverbial cliff there. Um, And we were we were basically validating our idea for almost our whole senior year before we took the the risk for it. And there's, that's, there's a lot of kind of like IP that we had to look into and again, validating when we were testing in Stanford Biodesign, a lot of those concepts that we had come up with, we had to make sure like, this is worth it for me to basically forego a full-time uh, job offer after graduation.
0: Yeah, make it your life, make it your career. That's That's so interesting. And you touched on the, the design thinking. We'll get into that. Um, cause I'm, I'm actually relatively familiar with it too. Um, in that process. And I think the listeners would be interested in that, but the last kind of question on, you know, inspiration, I guess, was there a moment where you were just like, Oh crap, like, you know, what? I need to make a new, a better tampon. Like this needs to be better. Was there like a kind of come to Jesus moment where that happened or was it something you talked about with your friends over time? Like how did you kind of come to this realization to, to reinvent, um, a very traditional product that every you know woman has to use.
1: Yeah, that's a great question and, and funny because I really did have a lot of brainstorming sessions with my roommates who were also my teammates um, on the Stanford lacrosse team. Uh, it was almost a little bit corny. We would literally have uh, post-it notes and be thinking, like, why does my tampon experience just, why is it so negative? And there's there are these moments that I would start to realize this is ridiculous, right? We're we're are a D1 program. We're wearing white skirts. And it's crazy that during a game, a lot of my teammates are coming up to me and saying, am I leaking in my skirt? And it's this really embarrassing moment. And so I think that was really an indication that there is this, I had this realization with my teammates, we have to solve this problem. But that was that was my junior year. And then it really took this framework and this kind of like I don't know, I'm not saying that correctly, but basically senior year, we had a hypothetical startup class, which then we were told to focus on a problem. And then we were using design thinking, my group was to f- figure out what's the what's the real solution that we need. And I think we needed that framework to formally address it, um, rather than just saying, let's come up with something right now. It's really, it's a longer process.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and you touched on, you know, using the resources that are provided at stanford i I interviewed rosie um, mangi who started a sticky brow company last week and she talked a lot about leveraging the resources at brown and and taking a class where this her idea kind of came came to fruition and then she had the resources to lean on right to kind of take it off the ground so like you said earlier stanford's in silicon valley it's like probably the most well-known school for entrepreneurship what kind of other resources did you use? Did do you have any mentors from the school? Did you get in touch with people in the valley? Um, maybe talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I would say the the network itself of just advisors that you know you can trust and you know that are um, rooting for you forever. we still have I've talked a little bit about those advisors and those mentors. We have professors um, who we still talk to regularly and ask for advice on things or even just update them. Those are kind of lifelong friends that just really care about your development. And I think that, that was really huge for us to have people that have seen students try things before and go down the entrepreneurship path and could tell us, hey, you should talk to a lawyer about this now. I've seen students get tripped up on this. Having that kind of advice was really valuable. And in addition, I think your status as a student really puts you in an empowered position. We had a lot of non dilutive funding, so meaning money coming in before we were selling parts of the company for equity. We were essentially had scholarships, grants, stipends, that kind of stuff coming in. And that allowed us to establish our idea, our path, and again, I mean, really learn how to fundraise formally without without making any mistakes and so we had that kind of flexibility to even invest in r d before doing any sort of fundraising which was was huge
0: yeah wow that's so interesting and and i think that's one of the points that i'm trying to really convey through this podcast is understanding what resources people use to create opportunities for themselves and obviously education and the the programs that you know all exist within schools are such a good starting point for anyone so um that's really cool that stanford has so much going on for you and, and and so much there that you can take advantage of and like you said not have to you know give away equity and make mistakes you know it's kind of a a breeding ground to really experiment which leads me to design thinking um and before i guess we get into it um i work at sap that's my my real job um greta is i'm, I'm an account executive at a large software company but our founder hasso platner um, i think the d school is named after And um, a lot of design thinking as I'm sure you know but for the listeners is really kind of workshopping ideas and finding out like what's the crux of a problem that a company is trying to solve it's this really creative process right where you get to the bottom and kind of uh, end up finding different ways uh, to to your solution right so I guess I've got some experience with it but I'd be curious to know um, and maybe you could walk our listeners through like what is design thinking and maybe tell us a bit about the D school too
1: Yeah, I would love to. I was actually a uh, tour guide at the D school. Um, So it's really cool to hear Hasso Plotner's name from someone else. And I think a lot of it is about making sure you understand the problem before you're coming up with a solution. So I think that that definitely speaks to um, my own process in finding a solution to this tampon problem. Being frustrated with your friends is not really enough. And we had to do a ton of interviews. We did hundreds of interviews to make sure that this was not like, oh, this is a small use case. This is actually an issue with the tampon specifically. Um, And so to go through a little bit of the path of design thinking, um, it's a five-step process, empathize, define, ideate, prototype, and test. Um, And it really is more of like an iterative process than a step-by-step. So when we talk about identifying a problem you're then defining it and then you're you're cycling back um one thing that we are using is empathy so maybe a lot of the things that we learn about are interviewing techniques and making sure that we're when we're interviewing people we're not saying doesn't your tampon experience suck but we're saying tell us about menstruation and what's a story in which you had you wish you had a a different experience or what's the best experience you've had when you're on your period? What's that like? What's the worst one like? Getting to those specific um, anecdotes can really help you understand what the real issues are. And more on the iteration is just when you're ideating and prototyping and testing, those are the three that you're really cycling through. And you're not necessarily investing in one solution that you really think is the end-all be-all. You're doing these very low-fi prototypes and you're asking for feedback in a way that people feel comfortable giving you really honest feedback. And then also through my involvement with this club, Design for America, which was an incredible way to apply that curriculum to these smaller cases. And what we would do is split up into teams. It was a, it's a student-led design studio um, and it's nationwide. So there's chapters at all these different universities. Um, it's a great org, love them and that was a that was a great way just to practice applying this curriculum because it can be i mean even listening to me explain the different steps it can sound very fluffy or hard to think about okay what would a defined stage look like and even reading case studies is really helpful but also working through um, different projects in a small scale through design for america was really great
0: Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. I I actually didn't know about Design for America. I think that's I'm really glad you mentioned it, because for anyone listening that you maybe can't go to the D school or can't go to, um, you know, a specific design thinking workshop sounds like there's programs in place around the the country that kind of give them a taste of that and can give you some of that that hands on experience. Um, So thank you for sharing that. Um, That's that's really cool. And I'm sure, yeah, like helping other people walk through the process just gave you more reps like anything in life. You know, you're a lacrosse player, like sometimes you just got to get reps um, to get better. Um, so that that's really cool. That was and definitely then, part
1: yeah. of it. Um, the D-School also has a lot of online resources just for anyone interested. Um, but yeah, like you're saying, I mean, teaching is an amazing way to learn. And I think being in leadership in Design for America and kind of bringing in these freshmen and sophomores and teaching them about the power of design thinking um, was was also powerful for me to learn about it.
0: Yeah, they're, they're fun too. Like when I went through it, we were working with this Japanese telecommunications company, and we're like writing sticky notes, like throwing them up on the wall, like kind of you know asking random people weird questions, and you really like kind of have a lot of fun through this process. Was that something that that you found as well?
1: Oh yeah, there's a lo- there's so many exercises, and I think that that can feel really silly and feel really crazy. But it's all about breeding creativity and getting outside of your the boxes of this is the solution and this is what we're really looking for. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot of exercises that we do, like even icebreakers that can make people more collaborative or communicative that are, are super, super fun. And that's why so many people chose to do this as an elective club. Um, but yeah, super fun.
0: No, so much fun. I remember we, we had these these guys from Japan literally like playing with Legos during the rapid prototyping phase and like Play-Doh and we're kind of like sticking things on walls and I, I stepped back and I was like, man, like this is a legitimate business meeting. And to your point, like we went in with, you know, one kind of idea of how we could help and we came out with like different value props for them as a, as a whole organization. And it really was this like such a creative process. So I would encourage anyone to you know, definitely look into design thinking and I think whatever your role is, whatever you do, um, and then check out things like the dSchool Online, like you mentioned, and Cloud Design for America. So so that's great. Okay, I'm glad we got to talk about that because I think it's something that we kind of shared that um, not a lot of people know about, you know, design thinking is is very, very interesting. So uh, we touched on, you know, your, your kind of background, Stanford, um, we got into the product a little bit, um, I guess I'm curious. Is there a lot of red tape in this industry? Like I'm sure being a a tampon or a femtech company, like you have to get a lot of approvals and you have to make sure that everything that you manufacture and make is very safe and healthy. And it's not going to be, uh, you know, risky to anyone using, what is that, what has that process been like? And, um, you know, has it been, have you had any hurdles that have been really difficult to get over?
1: Yeah, I, that's a great question and something that I am working on a lot right now. So that's my day to day is a lot of that red tape and making kind of our case. I think what a lot of people also don't realize is that it, while it is sold on a shelf as any product um, at a CVS or a Walgreens, it is a class two medical device. And so the distribution channels are more like any sort of consumer product, but it is there, there's a significant amount of testing that has to go into it. And I think from my perspective, it's some parts of it do seem really arduous, but also we recognize this is one of the most absorbent parts of your body. And it's really important for your manufacturing to be very safe and very controlled. So we're in the process of implementing quality systems with our manufacturer right now, and then also preparing our FDA submission for clearance. Um, and that, It is really challenging as a small company. I think it is definitely something that large companies can go through much faster, especially if you already have a product that's cleared in the space. Essentially you have a lot of data that we don't have to compare your product to. And it is, it has definitely been very challenging. There's no way to, to sugarcoat that, but I think it's also, it is a huge learning experience. And I, that's this is one of the things that I never thought I'd be doing uh, a year out of school. So pretty, pretty interesting space to be in.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can't even imagine like where to start um, when it comes to that. So I, I guess, yeah, what tell us maybe a bit about like, what's your day to day look like your CEO, your co founder, you're trying to get through some of these, you know, regulatory obstacles, but you know, how do you start your day?
1: Yeah, so I have a standing 7:30 a.m. we call it a breakfast check-in with my my product essentially my project coordinator for our quality systems. That's that's been for the past month or two and we're really looking towards clearance early next year. And so that's kind of we're we're moving at a, a crazy speed which compared to a lot of our fellow entrepreneurs who are working on software products feels like a snail's pace, but I am, I'm told that this is a very, very quick. Uh, So it doesn't always feel like that, but then we also, we do, so we have basically check-ins about quality systems going through those processes. Uh, We just had our first design review today, which is a big kind of milestone in that process. And we also, I also have check-ins with our manufacturers, I'm actually going to visit this week, which is really exciting um, and has been challenging to set up because of COVID. I think we, little context is that we actually moved our manufacturing from the UK to the US during COVID just to have a little bit more stability in that con- in that contact. Um, but we are, I'm planning to have this visit this week and be COVID safe about it, of course, but um, In general, also the day-to-day, it really does change. And it's also less predictable than I think a standard job in that you can have meetings pile up the day before. Um, A lot of it is checking in with advisors and people about these decisions that we're making. I think that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned as an entrepreneur is just making sure that it's okay. You realize it's okay if you don't know the answer, but you're thinking about, who could I talk to that would know this answer? and making sure that you're, you're covering your bases in that sense. So a lot of check-ins with advisors and other, other med tech companies have been some of the most helpful people to me. Um, So right now, one of the things that I'm working on is finding a testing facility for the specific microbiology test that we have to do. Um, And that's something that has been pretty challenging. Um, It's not, it's not a standard test. There's no recognize consensus standards. So we're trying to find microbiologists and develop protocols for this test. So that's kind of like what my past weeks have been looking like, but it really does vary. And I think that's, that's something unique to this type of job. Um, but also working on the other side, thinking about strategy, thinking we're always, always thinking about when do we need to fundraise? Is our burn rate the same? who could we talk to about investment and making those relationships really early on so even if we're not we're not fundraising right now we still are talking to some investors and everyone has we're we're talking to firms even if it's far too early just to make sure that we're making those relationships and learning about what they're looking for as well
0: yeah no and i'm sure you won't have any issues with that you seem incredibly well put together and i'm I, i'm guessing your um you know your business model is, is going to be super, super well aligned to what they're looking for. So that there's a lot you touched on there. Um, and I think first one is, um, you brought up COVID. How has that, you know, other than moving your manufacturing site from the UK to the U S, which is sick. Um, what, what else like during COVID has kind of changed your, your focus? Did it mess up some of your timelines? Did you find any kind of silver linings in the whole thing? Um, you know, it's an interesting question. Cause I think, um, it's, it's unique to this year only. I mean, there's always obstacles, but um, not quite like this. So maybe talk a bit about how you've, you know, handled COVID and what you guys have done as a company.
1: Yeah, I mean, my, my real sentiment about COVID is just feeling really lucky that we are not, for example, a travel company. Um, we're a commodity. No one's periods have stopped because of COVID. Um, and in fact, direct consumer has actually been on the rise. Obviously, people are ordering things more and more online. Um, We also feel really lucky, we fundraised right before COVID hit and lockdowns hit. And so while there was a lot of uncertainty in the market for for a lot of startups who plan to raise money later in the summer, we actually had just kind of closed our round in February, which was just incredible timing. So we definitely see that as a silver lining. Um, The other thing is just being away from my co-founder, Amanda, we have lived together for the past year and I was home on the East Coast in Philadelphia for the majority of lockdown. And I think there, that was a big adjustment for us is not being able to, I mean, we are literally waking up in the same house and working in the same room together. Um, but we also do see that as a silver lining. We have taken this and really examine our day to day and we do a lot more that's divide and conquer now. Um, and it's also made us document a lot of things more and get more organized in that sense. So if I'm not sitting next to her at all times, I can't just say, oh, by the way, this thing is happening. So we're actually, we are, we're seeing this as also a benefit. It's just that we're not always in the same meetings together and we're more specializing and splitting up. So it's been overall positive for us. I do think timelines, I mean, it did impact our manufacturing, even when we did move it to the US um just having being able to have fewer people in the factory having my own visits restricted that's definitely a hurdle but have also been impressed at people's adaptability to to change and make these things possible still
0: yeah no i mean i just think it's so cool that you you know the first thing you say is i'm very fortunate and thankful because um, i think that's a growth mindset you know way to approach this and and seeing opportunities in it all like you said getting more time with amanda and you know, living together, like really living and breathing. Sequel, I'm sure has you know, given you guys some some sort of benefit. So, thank you for sharing that. I, I think that's I think our, our listeners will be interested in that. And you brought up Amanda. I guess um, who else are you guys working with? Do you have any other employees, or is it just YouTube right now?
1: Yeah. So it's just us full time. We do have basically consultants, contractors. Um, we have a, a quality and regulatory team of around six people, which is is kind of crazy. And then we also do have kind of marketing and development. Those people also we mostly structure those to be project basis, and that really is just that the our needs every month are really changing. And so we are we're looking to hire probably next year for someone that's full time. Um, but for now, it's just it's as as the issues come up.
0: Yeah. Got it. No, that's, that's, that's exciting. We'll have to get Amanda on at some point as well. So, so you guys have that going looking to hire someone full time, which gets into kind of the last portion of this, which I think is really um, you know, what's next, obviously I, in the intro, I mentioned that we were record, we're recording this right now in November, but um, we'll be releasing it in January. And at the end of this interview, I'll kind of check back in with you and provide some updates. Um, but maybe you could dive into kind of where you're at, where you see yourself by the end of the year and then kind of what 2021 holds.
1: Yeah. So right now, like I said, I'm really focused on our quality system and getting FTA clearance. So I think a lot is riding on that. And Amanda's really on the other side, looking at our more consumer facing assets, looking at what's our, our marketing strategy, our go-to-market, how are we setting up for, we're going to do a lot of, we're essentially going to do a small launch with some athletes. And so Amanda's been talking to them and getting them all ready to be the first to, to try SQL. And so that's been very exciting. And I think that's, that's, that's really the big hurdle that we're getting over. And then next year we'll be off to the races once we're allowed to do marketing, that's one of the big things about not being FDA cleared yet, is that our marketing tests, you obviously can't market a medical device before it's cleared. And so that also carries over into tampons. So a lot of those AB tests and Instagram ads that you would run to kind of drum up interest and demand, we haven't been able to do those. So I'm personally really excited about that to learn more about our consumers as well. And start to generate content and release that. Um, and then yeah, after clearance, like if we're doing this, this smaller launch, and then that's that's basically our our launch strategy. And I'm just really excited to be able to do that. I think it's been a lot working up to this, developing manufacturing, getting patents in, getting trademarks in, a lot of the formalities. And so we are we're pumped to, to get to market.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I was going to ask kind of about your go-to-market. And it sounds like, yeah, you're going to do kind of a smaller test size with maybe some sounds like female athletes to start. Are there any big names that you guys are working with um, or planning to try to work with for that?
1: Um, I, I am not allowed to say right now, but there's a lot of, I will say it's we're super lucky to have been at Stanford. I think that's again, something that we're, we're seeing as a huge benefit right now is just, even having played lacrosse there um but there's a lot of other sports there and olympians that come out of there professional runners that kind of stuff that um i'm pumped to have them try it so yeah, yeah. more news to tell follow yeah. up to, to
0: no okay even, even more, and more. <laughs> yeah, that's great sorry. Yeah. um that's so cool um yeah, and then I guess you, you brought it up earlier. You talked a little bit about e-commerce. Are you planning on focusing mainly to go direct to consumer or are you going to try to be you know, brick and mortar on in CVS or a combination of both?
1: Yeah, we're are, we going to start 100% direct to consumer. Um, I think there's a huge potential for a subscription model here as well. It's obviously a recurring need. And what we're focusing on there is doing quarterly subscription rather than monthly. I think the the feeling of excitement when a box comes will wear off after a little bit. And so having that come quarterly will be kind of the perfect fit for that, making sure that people have the products they need, but also um, not being annoying and also a reminder that your period's coming. Um, and so we are going to be focusing hundred percent direct to consumer to start and then looking to go into retail um, kind of later
0: on. Got it. No, that's, that's, that's super interesting. And I think that totally makes sense too, because, you know, I, I get like my, I'm a Dollar Shave Club guy, right? And, and I, you actually, that was my next question was, are you thinking about this from a subscription billing you know, perspective? So you touched on that. Um, and I think that's smart, right? It, I mean, I, I think I added up like all the things that I pay monthly in subscriptions and it was kind of baffling just between like every all the streaming services and all the crap I get. So um, I do think that quarterly is a great idea too. So that's that's very cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and I, and, and yeah, I think going direct consumer to the start is probably a less risk averse, you know, way to go about it. So, so that makes sense. Um, femtech was a term that I am not, I hadn't heard yet. Uh, but I guess, are you planning on at some point branching out outside of just tampons and working on other, you know, feminine products or, you know, any, any kind of products?
1: Yeah, yeah, we definitely are. Um, I think we're we're very focused on this first tampon product as kind of our first entrance into the market. But I do think when we talk to women about the lens that we're looking at women's issues with, a lot of people will tell us other issues. And so it's almost like these organic interviews are happening where women are telling us, these are my complaints. Um, so there's a lot of products, I think, that are have been long ignored or just could be improved even marginally that we're thinking about in the development timeline and we're we're hoping that none of them are as regulatorily challenging as this one Uh, we're hoping for less red tape but there's there's definitely a lot out there to focus on and so we're looking as soon as we are on the market for this one um, definitely looking to become more of a brand than uh, a one product Company. Yeah, I
0: was going to say, I'm sure you, you could you could turn this into a lifestyle brand, you know, female athletes that need better products that cater to their, their lifestyle. Um, how'd you come up with the name?
1: Yeah, so funny, we actually, we started off as TAM Pro, kind of a, a play on pro and being professional and also athletic with the tampon. And then we pivoted from that to Tempo, which was about kind of just the beat of your momentum in your day and not interrupting that. Um, And then we actually had, there were some trademark concerns with that with some other countries. And it was actually, it's like, there's a tissue company. And we didn't think that that was really conflicting, but I think you just as a small company want to avoid as much litigation as possible. And so we are now called SQL, really going on this idea of the next chapter in women's health and defining that we're writing kind of another story. Um, and yeah, it's kind of like a, a sporty name as well. I think it, it it contrasts nicely to a lot of the very feminine names that are in um, the space that we see.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a great name, personally, and for everyone listening, make sure you go to trysequel.com or follow it on Instagram. I want to make sure I got that right, Um, which sounds like I did based on the thumbs up.
1: Yeah, I think it's always, I mean, we're always so excited to talk to people about our company and our brand and what we are trying to build. And I think that Answering these questions and getting more people talking about it, I think that's also something that, I mean, in my day-to-day, I'm talking about tampons for a ridiculous amount of hours, but we obviously realize that for a lot of people, it's still quite taboo. And so the more that we can talk about it, the better. Um, There's a ton of amazing nonprofits that are working in this space just to, to work on letting people talk about it more if they're embarrassed or their parents don't necessarily talk to them about it. Um, and as well, working on period access, I think that's something that we're thinking about. How can we also improve access while working at the, the forefront of this effort as well? And, But yeah, I, the more that we can get people talking about periods, the better. And talking about the issues, I think that's also part of it is if your product's not working, we really wanna hear about it. So feel free to also send us an email or a DM on Instagram about any other product issues that you have.
0: Yeah, make sure make sure you check it out. Um, to everyone listening, that's that's great. Um, okay, all right. I think we've been going for almost forty minutes or so. So that's pretty that's pretty good. Um, maybe maybe just tell us. I guess give you you know the open forum kind of any last comments that you want to say about SQL, and then we can get into our kind of lightning round, fun questions. Where I only really have two. So, <laughs> but yeah, but maybe what are your closing thoughts? What should people be thinking about when they think of SQL?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's really about telling, we really wanna tell an authentic story and this is an issue that I felt personally for many years. I mean, the, the almost proverbial story of like post-it noting, like why does my tampon experience, why is it so negative? That that stays in my mind every day when I'm working on this. Um, and I think that is kind of the motivator here is wanting to solve a problem that you you really care about. And that just to tie in design thinking again, it's really about understanding that we shouldn't find a technology and then find a solution for it. And because a lot of times you're actually creating problems that maybe don't exist and you're you're trying to find this authentic problem and then find a solution. Um, and so I think that's what really motivates us to keep going through all the regulatory stuff um, and take kind of this path. It's probably not the easiest, but um, to, to be motivated to solve this issue for, Other women just like us.
0: Yeah, and making it not taboo. I I think you said that earlier, which um, you know, I I told people I was going to be doing this interview, and they're like, "What? Like you don't know anything about you know tampons and periods?" And it's like, "Yeah, obviously, but that doesn't mean I shouldn't know more, right?" And it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be something that we can all talk about. So uh, I'm so glad you came on, and and we're able to share all this. It sounds like you're building a really great business and you're going to be incredibly successful. And uh, maybe you'll come back on at a later date when you're super influential and then we'll get more listeners. So I'm counting on you.
1: (laughs) Would love to, would be honored.
0: Yeah, no, this has been, this has been really fun. I think I I wanted to just kind of close up with some basic questions, some interesting ones kind of about yourself. I think my goal is to create a community of all the guests that come on this podcast and put them in like a LinkedIn network. LinkedIn is going to be how I do most of my distribution for this. Um, but I figured the community of people that come on is going to be very diverse and interesting. Um, and I wanted to create a book list of kind of recommended books from all the people that come on. So I'd be curious, um, what's a book that you have gifted to someone or, you know, is one of your favorites?
1: Yeah, um, good question. I love, I love Thinking Fast and Slow is probably my favorite, favorite book. Um and I also love, in the entrepreneurial sense, I love Bad Blood. I think that one is excellent in terms of seeing kind of the, the balances of moving really quickly. And I think we feel a lot of, not the, the issues because we're working on a very different device, but when we're looking through all this regulation, um, how important it is. And so realizing the balance of moving fast and innovating, but also being safe, um, and valuing kind of what people's lives and the risks that are, that are present there. Um, I'm also reading right now, my friend's parents just gave me this book called think like a monk and I'm just started, but I, I think it's, uh, it's very powerful. And just thinking about mindsets and approaching issues, um, in kind of this very monk-like fashion so would recommend that although i have to be honest i haven't i'm not very far in
0: no that's that's great three books um all i've read one bad blood and i think that's i mean being a stanford girl um, woman i should say you know starting a company that where you do need to go through some some proper red tape it's definitely important to to make sure you're doing that in in an ethical way so that's that's just kind of funny that you said that um and I didn't even think about that when, when we first started. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, I guess what's your spirit animal?
1: That's a very, I, I don't know if I've ever chosen a spirit animal for It's very funny. Um, I'm trying to think of something that's not like a dog, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking all I can think of is breeds of
0: dogs. Yeah. Well, what, uh, what's your favorite kind of dog, favorite breed? I've got two in my house right now. So big dog guy.
1: Really, what kind of
0: dogs do you have? So, got a shepherd husky rescue from um, Fresno. So he's a stray dog in Fresno. Wow. Um, and George, who's very pretty. I, I should bring him in, but um, and then my roommate just oh, in with a seven month old, like purebred black German shepherd named Frankie. So we've got George, who's like four, um, and kind of like a wolf looking mutt, and then Frankie, who's just like this elite
1: dog amazing i feel like i should have said my answer before because it was gonna be german shepherd but now it sounds rather reactive but i I do have a german shepherd at home um named carmen she's awesome she's very high maintenance and my sisters and i joke that she's definitely the, the favorite child they're like they pamper her and she's very good at fetch though so i will say it's really fun to walk her and and throw a stick and she'll find it down a hill and through a through a valley so we
0: love so it yeah i think a german shepherd's a great spirit animal for you if, if anyone ever asked them
1: <laughs> good now i now we came up with one perfect
0: yeah no i mean they're so so brilliant and uh yeah having a dog that you can play fetch with is always pretty awesome um george does not really do that very well um, it's hard
1: so in san francisco is,
0: yeah it is it is i know next time you're uh you're back up here we should we should link up uh barring COVID's, you know dead um, we'll see, it doesn't look like that'll be anytime soon. But um, yeah, I guess last question is really like any any quotes that you live by or any um, words of inspiration for people out there listening?
1: Yeah, I think there is there is one that I love and I'm just making sure I'm getting the wording right. So it is the greatest mistake you can make in life is to be continually fearing that you will make one Um, And I think that really captures a lot of what I try to take into my day to day is and there's a lot of there's a lot of fear or at least like a possibility of like percentage of, of success in startups is still really, really low. And so if you're if you're scared of trying something, you'll never succeed it. And so I think just leaning into to the risks that you're taking, especially this young um that that really drives me forward and I, I love that quote. there's a bunch of them uh, like it. there's one actually in this the monk book that I'm reading that it's from the Buddha and it's about how fear is not saving I'm gonna butcher this quote but it's <laughs> about how it's basically fear doesn't prevent, prevent death it prevents life and that I think is also a simpler way of saying the same sentiment. Um, but yeah, those, that's kind of my, my mantra right now.
0: Oh, I love it. Thank you. I, I, I'm going to take that um, to heart and, and use as inspiration because I like, think you're so right. Like Making mistakes is, is something that everyone's afraid of doing, obviously, because they're mistakes, but um, you, know, you have to do it. And if you live your life in fear, you're not going to do anything worthwhile, which is why we're both doing, doing kind of starting our own things, which is very cool.
1: Yeah, love um, it. Yeah,
0: I think that, that was all. Oh, I had. Um, this was super informative for me. And like I said earlier, I think you're going to be super successful. And um, this is going to go really, really well. Um, and just thank you so much for sharing all your time and insights. If you have any closing thoughts or questions, you know, feel free. But
1: yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This is I think it's a great there's there's an article um, out right now that's about the it's called the athlete CEO. And it's I think it's you've really hit on a a trend that we're seeing right now, which is just, I mean, there's so many lessons that you learn from being an athlete that feed into um, just teamwork in general and making, taking the, the kind of underdog mentality um, and making things work. So I love what you're working on and appreciate you having me on and yeah, good luck with everything. Nice to meet you.